Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 62 of The Yacking Show. This is where we talk about life, business, and more, and we bring you tips and ideas for the changing world we're living in, and it's certainly changing at the moment. But we're lucky up here in Ontario, we're sitting on 20 degrees Celsius, which is, I think, 76 Fahrenheit, glorious sunshine, most unusual for this type of year, but we're making the most of it. I hope wherever you are, while you're listening and watching this, you've got the weather that you enjoy. And that's enough for me. We have interesting guests as always. So I'm going to welcome Kathleen, my co-host on the show, and she will introduce our guest for today. So hi, Kathleen. Good to have you back on the show. Hello, Peter. It's great to be here as always. And uh, thank you all for joining us. We so appreciate you and always appreciate your comments and we read all of them. So please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have a special guest with us today. His name is Richard Capriola. He's an addictions counselor. Welcome, Richard. How are you today? Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Kathleen. Um, I appreciate your taking the time to talk to me today, and I'm looking forward to uh, speaking to both of you. Excellent. So, so Richard, uh, as I said, you are an addictions counselor, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what led you into the medical field? Sure. Um, I was born uh, and, and raised in Illinois. Uh, I was born in uh, Rockford, Illinois, which is about 90 miles northwest of Chicago. Uh, went to uh, high school there, attended a community college, and then later on went on to uh, Western Illinois University in Macomb, Illinois, and the University of, of Illinois. Um, after I graduated, I moved to Springfield, Illinois, the state capital, where I took a job uh, for, as an intern for the Illinois General Assembly for about a year. And then after that, went to work for uh, education at the uh, the state education department. And I worked there for about 30 years. Um, and later on then I uh, went into working in mental health. I uh, took a position with a regional mental health center, actually worked in a crisis center where we had patients that were referred to us from the hospital, um, didn't need to be admitted, but they didn't feel we're safe enough to go home. So they'd send us to the crisis center. And I noticed that a large number of those patients when they came to the crisis center also had a substance use disorder. So they had a mental health issue they were struggling with and also alcohol or drugs that they were struggling with. So I went back to school and I got a, a second master's degree uh, where I could specialize in uh, substance abuse, alcohol and drugs. And continued to work at the crisis center uh, working with patients until um, about 12 years ago when I was offered a job with Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. Menninger Clinic is one of the top 10 psychiatric hospitals in the United States. So I was offered a position there as an addictions counselor and I left Springfield, Illinois, where I was living and moved to Houston to begin working with Menninger. I worked with Menninger for Menninger for about 11 years. I worked on both their adolescent unit and their comprehensive assessment and treatment unit, where I saw both adolescents and adults that were diagnosed with both um, a mental health issue, a psychiatric issue, and also a substance abuse issue. My role at Menninger was an addictions counselor, so I focused on working with patients who had a substance use disorder. Uh, I retired from Menninger a little over a year ago. 
after having been there for 11 years. And uh, that's when I uh, turned my attention to writing this book for, uh, for parents on adolescent substance abuse. Are you still in Texas, by the way? I am in Texas. I live just outside of Houston. Mm -hmm. Wow, nice. So, you know the sort of weather we're talking about. This is probably a cool day for your winter, I guess, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I actually enjoy being here. I, I spent many, many years in Illinois where the, the winters can be cold. And uh, yep. um, actually, I don't mind the heat and humidity here in the uh, Houston area. This, the, the winters seem to be mild, which uh, at my We had a slight delay on sound there. Uh, Richard, are you, you still got a good audio quality there? Yes, I do. Okay, that's fine. That's back there. It might have been my end. Uh, so you, you decided to focus on adolescence and youth uh, during your career. What, what motivated you to go that or in that direction? Well, um, I think my interest in adolescence and adolescent substance abuse really sparked when I was at Menninger and I was working on the adolescent treatment program, mm -hmm. where I saw um, young men and young women who were uh, abusing alcohol and uh, different types of, uh, of drugs. Um, and I really got interested in learning from them what it was that motivated their use. Why is a young man or why is a young woman um, using alcohol? Why are they using marijuana? And the more I learned about it, the more I began to understand that there's an underlying issue that's driving these young men and women to using alcohol or drugs. It's not just, it's not just the feeling of wanting to get high. For some adolescents, that's true. They, they just want to get high. But for the young men and women that I worked with, there was, there was an underlying psychological issue that was driving their use of a substance. The best example is that I met a lot of young men and women that were smoking a lot of marijuana. They were, they were smoking multiple times a day. And when I asked them to help me understand why they were using so much marijuana, the number one answer that I got from these young men and women was, it helps my anxiety. It relieves my anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I began to understand that usually when you dig below the surface, there's an underlying issue that's driving the substance use. And that's really what, what interested me uh, the most and, and what I was uh, most curious about. So okay. Richard, I'm curious when it comes to the anxiety for young people, what is it that precisely is causing them so much anxiety? And I'm sure it, it of course is very different from one person to the next, but did you see a pattern as to what's, causing the anxiety? Not really a pattern. I think for everybody, like you said, it, it, it's different for everybody. For, for, some, for some kids, it might be the pressure of, of grades. It might be peer pressure. It might be um, uh, any number of factors, uh, competition in sports, uh, desire to earn better grades, uh, just general pressure. Um, so it can be it can be multiple factors uh, that are driving a kid to, to, to use it if, it if it's anxiety. Now, for some other kids, um, it might not be anxiety. It might be um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. It might be, uh, I sort of describe it as intolerable thoughts, feelings, or memories. 
So any of those three, a, an intolerable thought, an intolerable feeling like anxiety, or maybe an intolerable memory, all of these create feelings that are not comfortable to us. And we try to seek relief from them. And, and kids have access to alcohol, they have access to drugs, they, they find out that when they use marijuana or they drink alcohol, the intolerable feeling or emotion that they're feeling um, becomes less intense. And then that sort of reinforces itself. So there's a lot of different reasons. I sort of summarize it by, by saying intolerable thoughts, feelings, or memories that, mm -hmm. we, that we don't want to have anymore. That's interesting. And, and just to expand on that a little bit, Richard, so if, 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 a, a, young, if a young person comes to you with anxiety, how, how do you go about helping them with that? Because if it is a thought, a feeling, where do you go with that? Well, that's where I think a lot of professional help comes involved. It's not just me. I, I deal with the addictions, but obviously somebody who has an intense anxiety or has post-traumatic stress disorder or perhaps has been abused, um, they need help from other professionals. They need perhaps the help of a, of a psychiatrist and, a, and an MD that can prescribe medications to help them. They need the help maybe of a psychologist that can help them you know, with some type of therapy. So it really becomes a team approach. Sure. Um, I can work with the addiction side of it, but we can't just work with the addiction side of it, mm -hmm. right? For example, a child who has uh, an anxiety issue and is also using a lot of marijuana, if I treat just the marijuana as an addictions counselor and nobody helps this child with the anxiety issues, I may get them to stay off marijuana for a brief period of time, but chances are they're going to relapse and return back to it because we haven't helped them with their anxiety. So it's, it really is a multi-team approach to helping the child. And, and, and that's the approach that we took at Menninger. I was one of many team members. Uh, each child had an addictions counselor if they had a substance abuse issue. They had a psychiatrist that was leading the team. They had a social worker that was working with the family, uh, and they had a psychologist that was also working with the child. So you can see from that teamwork how we address this issue from various different perspectives, and that's mm -hmm. what's important. Right. Wow. I, I'd like to skip forward a little bit. Something that's, um, as a father and grandfather myself, going through my mind right now is, is what can parents do to foster an environment, an environment that reduces the risk of a child becoming addicted or abusing certain substances? What's your thoughts on that one? I think that's a, a very important issue. I, I once had somebody ask me, well, my child's not a teenager yet. They're a, they're a preteen. You know, what, what can I do now to, to sort of uh, reinforce the idea that they won't be using alcohol or drugs down the road. Um, and, and I think one of the most important things that parents and grandparents can do is to start to build that foundation of trust and communication. Um, teenagers were surveyed on the question of why is it that they have not told their parents about their alcohol or drug use? What's kept them from being open about it? And some 57% of them said that their fear was being judged. 
they didn't want to be judged by their parents. So that kept them from being honest and, and disclosing their substance use to their parents. So my advice is that, that parents begin to build that open communication with their child, to begin to foster that sense that um, they're not going to be judged, that they can talk to their parents or their grandparents about anything that might be troubling them without, without the fear of being judged. And, and I think it's important that parents really focus on learning some good communication skills. We can all do that. We're, we're good at listening, but we're not so good at hearing. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. what I mean by that is we can hear the words that people are saying, but we're, and, and we're usually pretty good at that, but we're not so good at, 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 at hearing the underlying feelings that are behind that, those words. And, and it's a skill that we can all learn. Every parent, every grandparent can learn that skill with practice. And there are some, some tips in my parent workbook that accompanies the main book on, on how parents can learn that skill and practice that skill. Um, but, but I think it's important that when parents or grandparents are talking to a child, they listen to more than just the words. They listen to the feelings behind the words behind and then reflect that back to the child so that the child begins to get an appreciation that have my mom, my dad, my, my grandmother, my grandpa, they really understand what I'm, what I'm feeling. They're not just hearing me, they understand what I'm feeling. Sure. And then that sure. sets the groundwork for, for hopefully what will become better communication so that if a child is, is out there and they feel pressure to use alcohol or they feel the need to use drugs, they can come to their family and they can talk about it and not feel that they're being judged and, and, and seek help. You know, I had a psychiatrist once tell me that as, as, our, as our children get older, we, turn, we, we become more of, of advisors. We want them to come to us for advice. We, we, we stop being dictators. Mm -hmm. We stop telling them what to do and when to do it. And, and, and as they grow up, we, we tend to become more advisors to them. And that's what we hope they'll, they'll turn to us for. So um, I think the more that we can be better listeners and open those channels of communication, um, the better we can help children. In, so, in all respects, not just substance abuse, but in, in coping with the world, the changes in the world and coping with life. I think that's equally important, isn't it? It's a skill that we can use for a lot of different factors in life. And it's a, yeah. it's a principle of, of, of communication that benefits us wherever we are. Sure. So Kathleen. what are the major, are there major warning signs that parents should tune into? Yes. Um, I think that it's important that parents pay attention to any significant changes that they see in their child to be uh, aware of things that seem a little bit different. Uh, for example, you might have a child who was earning good grades and all of a sudden those grades start to decline. You might see a child who took a great deal of pride in their appearance and no longer care about what they, what they look like. Um, might have a child who once enjoyed participating in sports no longer enjoys participating in sports. Um, so you want to be aware of any change in, in, in an appearance, in attitude, in behavior, because those can all signal something's going on. So we need to be aware of any significant changes that we observe in our child 
and and not simply write them off, but but really look at what's going on and why are we seeing these changes. It may be related to substance use. It might be related to non-substance use. It might be, you know, a, a child is becoming depressed or or becoming more anxious. So there could be a lot of reasons and 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 being aware of what's going on with your child and being aware of those changes can then lead you to investigate it and perhaps get assessments and some help. And then <clears throat> when parents realize there's, there's signs, what's the best way for them to respond? This is back to your communication, I guess, is it? Um, I think communication is the issue. Perhaps the child, if you have good communication and a good foundation, the child will open up to you and tell you what's going on. But beyond that, if, if you suspect there's a problem, then you then you get to the point where okay I need to get an assessment done. Chances are the child's going to not want that done, um, but but parents need to insist on getting an assessment. And the thing about assessment is it needs to be comprehensive. You know we can't just send a child to an addictions counselor like myself and say I need an addictions counsel. I need an addictions assessment. Okay, that's part of the program, and you know I'll I'll do the assessment, and I'll tell you the alcohol or the drugs that the child is using. I'll tell you how severe it is, and I'll give you a diagnosis. But when I say it needs to be a comprehensive assessment, then we're looking at things such as a complete physical exam, blood work, EEGs, EKGs, an entire comprehensive physical exam. We probably need a psychological exam too, particularly a neuropsychological exam. Um, and that's going to tell us a, a lot about what's going on psychologically and neurology and neurologically with the child. Um, back to my example of substance abuse, um, the, the, the young men and women that, that I treated who were using marijuana a lot, like multiple times a day, their IQs were very high. They were in the superior range. Really? These were very bright young men and women with very high IQs. But when the testing results came back, I noticed a couple of things were going on. Number one, the processing speed of their brain was below average. So their brain just wasn't clicking along the way it should have been. Um, their short-term memory was impaired. Short-term memory is not that they forgot things that happened a month ago, but they had difficulty grasping what was going on right now. So if they're sitting in a classroom, they might have difficulty, you know, capturing and holding on to the information. Um, and then almost all of them told me that marijuana sapped the motivation out of them. So that type of testing, that type of psychological, uh, neurological testing completes the picture of what's going on with their brain. We know marijuana affects the brain. So um, it's important that the assessments be comprehensive. We can't just look at the addiction component of it. We have to look at the entire child. And that brings in all these other assessments. And, and in my book, I talk about, uh, there's a chapter on comprehensive assessments, and I go through exactly what assessments a parent should look for. Well, since Excellent. you mentioned your book, why, why not um, tell our listeners the title of that book and how they can get a hold of it? The title of the book is The Addicted Child, uh, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Um, and it, it, it gives an overview of adolescent substance abuse in America today. Um, it, it has a chapter on the neuroscience of, of addiction. 
in a very non-technical, plain language so that parents can understand how drugs affect the teen brain and influence behavior. Uh, it doesn't contain a lot of medical jargon. It's not a complex. It's a very straight, simplistic uh, explanation of how the brain reacts to drugs. There is um, a section on um, each one of the street drugs that are out there invading the, the teen population today so that parents might not be aware of some of these drugs that are out there. So this gives them a very brief overview on the 10 or 12 drugs that are out there that kids are most likely um, to, to be subjected to, in addition to alcohol and marijuana, which most parents already know about. Um, there is a section on what's called process disorders. Uh, these, are, these are disorders like eating disorders, self-injury, uh, gaming, um, and, and, and I put that in the book because a lot of the young men and women that I, that I met with, especially young girls, not only had a substance abuse issue with alcohol or marijuana, they were also had an eating disorder or were cutting upon themselves. So I put that chapter in there to, to, to alert parents that if you have a child and you discover that they have an eating disorder, or you decide, or they're self-harming themselves, and they're also smoking marijuana or drinking alcohol, you need to treat both disorders. You need to, 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 to make sure that the treatment plan addresses both the self-injury and the eating disorder, and also the substance use. I had, a, I had a young girl that smoked an awful lot of marijuana, but was also cutting on herself. So when she came to our hospital, because she was in a hospital, we were able to control the marijuana use. We could keep marijuana away from her. She couldn't keep her from, you know, really trying to hurt herself or cut herself. I mean, we could keep her away from really cutting, but she would scratch on herself. And so uh, the, the, the point is that you need an assessment for both disorders. And many times when you treat one disorder, the other disorder will increase. Because mm -hmm. we kept the marijuana away from her, her desire to want to self-injure increased because both were a coping skill. So yeah. if you have two coping skills, you take one away, the other one tends to increase. So I put that in the book just to alert parents that if you have a child who has one of these disorders, eating disorder, self-injury, um, as well as a substance abuse disorder, you need to treat both. Nice. All right. And how can people get your book, Richard? Uh, the book is the, there, there's a there's a book which is available in ebook electronic format and also in paperback. So parents have a choice. Some people like just to have the paper. Some people like to read on their device. There is also a parent workbook uh, that's available in paperback. Um, all of these are available uh, on Amazon. Uh, my website will be coming up soon. Uh, the website uh, is um, helptheaddictedchild.com. That's helptheaddictedchild.com. Okay. Um, or you can go to Amazon in the little search box. Just put the addicted child, Richard Capriola, and it'll bring up all three. It'll bring it up. Okay. We'll put all that as a caption under the video at this point, and it'll be in the description. So, again, okay. listeners and viewers, check for, check for the contact details and the, how to get the book. I, I've got a quick question for you. You mentioned earlier alcohol and drugs. Do they often or frequently go hand in hand or not necessarily so? Many times they do go hand in hand. Many times a, a, a child will be using both. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and, and it really depends on the particular drug they're using, too. I think you would tend to see that with marijuana, uh, sure. where a, a child may be using marijuana and, and alcohol, maybe not at the same time. They may switch back and forth. Uh, but once you progress into the, the more illicit, harder drugs like cocaine, uh, methamphetamine, uh, the more powerful drugs, I think you tend to see those drugs sort of predominate. In other words, a child is not as likely to be drinking alcohol if they're hooked on and using cocaine or meth or some other really powerful drug. Right. Um, uh, a lot, but then there's a lot of young men and women who just drink alcohol. They don't get into drugs. They just like getting drunk. Um, so it can go, it can go both ways. And, and that was my experience. In we were a similar generation, I think. And in my childhood or my younger years, wasn't on this continent in a very British-oriented uh, society. Uh, people got drunk quite regularly, and then generally grew out of it. Um, it didn't, but drugs were virtually unheard of in my youth. Fortunately. So the follow-up question to that is, is, is the situation getting a lot worse in, in recent years, or are we just hearing a lot more about it? I think in many respects, it's getting much better. Uh, if you look at the last 10 or 20 years and you look at adolescent substance abuse, you can see that it's, it's either stabilized or, or, or it's trending down, uh, particularly in terms of, of, of some really hardcore drugs. Um, the, the, the negative part of it is that we are starting to see uh, a dramatic increase in what's called vaping mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and these, uh, these vape pens that adolescents are using, like the Juul. Um, some of them look like a little flash drive. Um, a good example is we're seeing a substantial decline in, in, in cigarette smoking, which is nicotine. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we're seeing a, a, a dramatic increase in nicotine vaping. So kids aren't smoking cigarettes anymore. They're now getting their nicotine through vaping. Um, okay. and, and that's increasing at a dramatic rate. I think alcohol is pretty well stabilized. Marijuana has sort of stabilized. Uh, but really the vaping of, of, of marijuana, uh, the vaping of nicotine, um, that, that's dramatically increasing among, uh, uh, among high school kids. Interesting. Kathleen, you got another question for Richard? Um, actually, uh, how can, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, uh, Richard, how do they do that? Um, I would suggest they do that through my website uh, once it's up and running. Uh, because on their website, they're, they're going to have access to all of my blog articles. And I'll be updating those with, with, with information on adolescent substance abuse. Um, they'll, they'll have information on how to get, a con and get in contact with me. They can sign up uh, and, and they'll be able to send me emails. So if they have questions or want information, they'll have access to me through, through that way. Excellent. Well, right. we're about um, out of time. So thank you so much, Richard, for... Uh, reaching out to us and, and being on our show. We so appreciate that. And thanks, Peter. And uh, thank I, I have one, one more. Okay. Uh, it's hard okay. to keep me quiet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Richard, no, I wanted to thank you from my side, but this is a message to our audience. Uh, 
please, if you like our videos, we bring you a whole series of interviews with interesting people. There's a subscribe button on YouTube and on BitChute, wherever you might be seeing it, and on the audio channel. So we'd love you to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next exciting episodes of our show. And if you're really feeling generous, you can hit the like button as well. That always makes us feel good. So that was my little piece. It's back to Kathleen. Oh, that was and very thank you, Richard. <laughs> thank thank both of you. <laughs> thank, yes, you, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Kathleen. I, I really appreciate your taking the time to uh, to talk about this. Uh, it's a very important issue, and hopefully, spread the word to uh, uh, to parents and grandparents and anyone interested in learning more about uh, adolescent substance abuse. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to our audience for tuning in. We so appreciate you. And one, as Peter mentioned, we do read our your comments, so please keep them coming and you know click on that like button. That would really make our day. And uh, if anybody out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, please do not hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. So until next time, do take care and uh, stay safe. Bye bye. <laughs>